In my early years as a pastor, when I was feeling overwhelmed by the demands of ministry, another pastor shared a bit of practical wisdom with me. He said, you have to have a finish line. You have to find some point in the year when you say, I'm done. Pastoring a church is one of those 24-7 kind of jobs. You're always on. Back in those days, I was a solo pastor leading a small but growing church. Since I was the only preacher, it felt like Sunday was always coming. I'd get home on Sunday afternoon feeling relieved and exhausted, but by Sunday evening, my mind was already working on next Sunday's message. But it wasn't just the preaching, it was being available to people all the time. Even on a day off, the phone could ring, and it did. It was the burden of feeling responsible for everything all the time, the budget, the building, the volunteers, the programs. And when you work with people, as many of you do, you're never really done, right? People are a work in progress. There's always more you could do. So when that older pastor gave me permission once a year to say, done, it was a game changer for me. Since we had four kids in school, the finish line became the end of the school year. So I'd preach that final Sunday in June, spend a day returning all my phone calls and clearing all the piles off my desk, and then we'd pile into the minivan and head west, 16 hours to Grandma's house in Wheaton, Illinois. We'd leave at 3 in the afternoon to beat the traffic out of New York, drive straight through the night to save on hotels and meals. Somewhere around 9 p.m., somewhere in Pennsylvania, the kids would fall asleep. I'd put my Sony Walkman on, crank up some Bruce Springsteen or Doobie Brothers, take a sip of truck stop coffee, and breathe a great big sigh of relief. For two whole weeks, I wouldn't have to write a sermon or make a hospital visit or lead a committee meeting. Our kids called it the trip to paradise, and I don't think I would have survived without it. Everyone needs a finish line. No matter what we do for a living, no matter what stage of life we're in, we all need to come come to moments in the year when we stop, when we take a break, when we give our minds and bodies and souls a rest. For many of us here in New England, the end of June is one of those finish lines. The school year's over, finally. The weather warms up, finally. Graduations and celebrations are done. Things slow down a bit at work. And most of us find a way to get to the Cape or the mountains or Disney or Grandma's house. Now, I know it's not that way for everyone. For some professions, summer is the busiest season. For those of you who are serving at Kids Week or heading out on a CCLE, you're not quite at the finish line yet. And it could be the season of life you're in right now just doesn't allow you to take a break this summer. But I think all of us realize we weren't wired to be on 24-7, 52 weeks a year. So this first teaching series of the summer is designed to give you permission and tools to care for your soul. We want to help you find some rest and renewal this summer, not just for your mind and body, but for your spirit. And the good news is God wants that for us. He actually designed us to find rest. Now, typically, when we talk about soul care, we talk about spiritual practices like prayer and scripture reading and fasting and journaling. We spend a lot of time here at Grace teaching on those practices and resourcing you for them because we believe in them. They're good for your soul. 
But other things are good for your soul too. Things like naps and ice cream and road trips and barbecues. So for the next five weeks, we're going to explore some non-typical ways of caring for your soul. Things that feel less like a discipline and more like a delight. So from week to week, our teaching team will take us to some surprising places and practices in the scripture. And along the way, we'll be sharing some of the personal ways that we found renewal for our souls, not just in the summertime, but all year round. So we're going to begin the journey today with some comforting, but sometimes confusing words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Just three verses, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Let's read the whole thing and then come back and take a closer look. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the first thing that came to mind when I read these verses was that, as far as I can remember, I've never actually preached on them. Now, I'm sure I've quoted them and referred to them, but I've never spent a whole week, one sermon, with these few verses. As always, I had a great time digging into the words and ideas here. And it seems to me that Jesus is offering us an invitation, a paradox, and a promise. Let's begin with the invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds like something Jesus would say. What's interesting is that only Matthew records it. And what's more interesting is that he places it here in his gospel. Because it turns out that right about this time in their journey with Jesus, the disciples were probably feeling weary and burdened. Uh, along with many others, they've been following Jesus for several months at this point. Long enough, probably, for the novelty and excitement of life on the road to have worn off. And long enough for the popularity about Jesus to give way to criticism and even disenchantment. Back at the beginning of chapter 11, we find that even John the baptizer is beginning to have some doubts. After preaching his fool head off to prepare the way for Jesus, he suddenly finds himself in prison and in a lot of trouble. So he sends his messengers to Jesus to ask, are you really the one or should we expect someone else? Chances are a lot of Jesus' followers were wondering the same thing because after several months of following and believing, things weren't going the way they'd expected. Later on in chapter 11, we're told that even though Jesus performed miracles in the cities of Chorazin and Capernaum, most of the people in those towns didn't repent, didn't believe. So again, things weren't really going the way his followers were expecting. And when we come to verse 25 of the chapter, in the verses leading right up to our passage, Matthew says, At that time, Jesus said, well, at what time, we, we want to ask? Well, if we back up to the last timestamp in chapter 10, and if we compare this passage with the Gospel of Luke, it looks like Jesus spoke these words just after the disciples returned from a ministry tour. 
after going into towns and villages to preach and perform miracles and cast out demons. So it's not hard to imagine them feeling a bit worn out from their weeks on the road, from ministering to lots and lots of needy, hurting people with mixed results. So as Jesus sits them down for a debrief, chances are they were feeling both weary and burdened. And chances are, many of us are feeling that way at the end of a school and church year. If you're a student, it's been a long year of study and homework and exams. If you're a parent, it's been a long year seeing your kids through all those exams and assignments. Not to mention the sports and the tutoring and the after-school activities. If you're in the working world, you've probably been pushing hard for many months and maybe you haven't had a break since Christmas or even since last summer. And it hasn't been easy in the marketplace this year. Inflation, shortage of workers, uncertainty in the markets. A study from 2022 reveals that three out of five adults in America report feeling more tired than ever. In another study, millennials, people in their mid-20s and 30s, are reporting higher levels of mental and physical exhaustion than any other age group. Thanks in part to longer work hours and stagnant pay and student loans they're still carrying. We're also at the end of an active church year, probably our busiest year since COVID hit. It's been a good year, lots of excitement and growth across all our campuses. But with our volunteer force still catching up and having to reinvent everything, some of you have been carrying a heavy load at church. If you're not feeling weary, maybe you're feeling burdened or heavy laden, as some translations put it. Burdened about your health, the health of someone you love. Burdened about your finances or your career path or your family life. Burdened for someone you love who's struggling in one way or another. As I reflected on the year personally, I realized that it was early September when my parents took a turn for the worse, uh, with my father going into skilled care and my mother into memory care. I can't count how many seven-hour drives we made to and from Pennsylvania this year to support them, closing down their apartment, walking them through their final days, planning two funeral services, and now a few months of trying to settle all their affairs. It's been a meaningful journey, but it's probably taken more mental and emotional energy than I realized. So here comes Jesus with an invitation, not just to his disciples, but to all of us. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a wonderful invitation, isn't it? We're sure glad that Matthew recorded it for us. It's nice to imagine Jesus looking over his crew at the end of their ministry tour, seeing the weariness on their faces and their shoulders sagging under the weight of people's problems and feeling for them. And it's nice to know that Jesus sees us today, gathered in whatever space you happen to be in today. He knows what your year's been like. He knows what cares and burdens you're carrying today. 
and he wants to meet you there. He wants to care for your soul. All he asks is that you bring it to him. Now, don't miss that. The remedy for weariness isn't simply to take a rest. It's to come to Jesus. The solution to your burden isn't to set it down and walk away. It's to bring it to Jesus, to name it and, and trust him with it. So that's the invitation. Come to Jesus. Now for the paradox. Let's look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, we, we know what a yoke is. It's a, it's a wooden frame designed to join two animals so they can work together to pull a plow or a cart. In other words, it's a work instrument. It's a way of being more productive. So don't miss the irony here or the paradox. Jesus is saying, in effect, wow, you look tired. I've got just a thing. Put this wooden harness around your neck and help me pull this load. See what I mean? He doesn't say, take a break. He says, take my yoke. It's probably not the answer the disciples were looking for. It's not the answer we're looking for when we're feeling tired or burdened. So we're going to have to do a little digging here to find out what Jesus is getting at. Well, it turns out that the yoke was a common metaphor in first century Judaism for the law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the 613 laws that regulated just about every aspect of life for a, for a person of faith. Laws about what they could eat, how they should dress, who they could talk to, where they could go, what days of the week they could and couldn't do, all those things. Uh, according to the religious leaders at the time, this was what life with God looked like, keeping rules obeying commandments, staying in line, trying harder. And it was a burden. It felt like a yoke, harnessing them to the law and always demanding more. Listen to how Peter described it to a council of leaders as, as they were trying to figure out what God wanted from his followers. He says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. That yoke he's referring to is a, a way of life dictated by the law, by a list of requirements and expectations. And he acknowledges what a heavy burden it was, how impossible it was to fulfill all those demands. But it wasn't really the laws themselves. I mean, they, they were meant to make life better and healthier. It was the traditions layered on top of the laws. And it was the way those laws and traditions were interpreted and enforced by the religious system of the day. That's what was so burdensome. And the religious leaders of the day were always watching, always looking to catch people breaking the law and then passing judgment when they did. That was the yoke that people of faith were bearing as they tried to do life with God in first century Judaism. No wonder they felt weary and burdened. And if we're being honest, our religious systems can, can easily drift into that same kind of legalism and, and judgmentalism 
the churches I grew up in, the Christian camps and college I attended, they had plenty of rules. Your hair couldn't be too long, your skirt couldn't be too short. There were TV shows we weren't supposed to watch, music we weren't supposed to listen to, card games we weren't supposed to play, and dancing, well, forget about it. Now, thankfully, we've gotten beyond that kind of legalism for the most part. But even in our current tradition, if we're not careful, things like prayer and Bible reading and fasting and journaling, they can begin to feel burdensome, like chores we need to check off the list to earn God's favor and be well thought of by our fellow believers. But, but now here comes Jesus offering a different kind of yoke, a different way of looking at life with God. Instead of hitching yourself to the law and its demands, Jesus says, hitch yourself to me and together we'll do life with God. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's that paradox again. How can a yoke be easy and a burden be light? It sounds oxymoronic. So what's Jesus getting at? Well, it turns out the word translated easy could also be translated well-fitting. In the idiom of the day, an easy yoke was one that was comfortable for the animal to wear. Measurements would be taken. The yoke would be tried on and then adjusted until the yoke was fitted perfectly to that particular animal and to the particular task the animal was burdened with. There's actually an ancient legend that there was a sign above Jesus' carpentry shop in Nazareth that read, My yokes fit. <laughs> now, that is most certainly a legend, but it communicates a certain truth. Jesus' call on each of our lives is specific to us. It's custom-fitted for our temperament and gifting and life experience and for the particular work and mission that Jesus is calling us to. So much of the stress we feel in life, even in the Christian life, is a result of pressure we put on ourselves to keep up with other people, to meet their expectations or standards. But Jesus is calling you to a life with God that's perfectly suited for you. Any HR person will tell you that when employees are working in their skill set, in their areas of passion and expertise, they're not just more productive, they're happier. They love their work, even when it's hard. And so it is when we come to Jesus and, and accept his call on our lives. Like a well-fitted yoke, it's easy, it's comfortable, it's right for us. So the first thing we learn here is that Jesus offers a different kind of yoke, one that's perfectly suited to us and to his unique call on our lives. But, but how about the second part of this paradox? My burden is light. Jesus says. Now, how can that be? Well, it turns out that Jesus is a different kind of teacher. Remember when you were a kid and it came to find out, uh, time to find out who your teacher was going to be next year? 
You were always hoping for a good teacher, for a nice teacher. The one thing you didn't want was a mean teacher, a teacher who was harsh, who yelled a lot, who didn't really seem to like kids. You didn't even mind if the teacher was hard, as long as they weren't mean. Well, the teachers of the law, for the most part, were mean. They were harsh and haughty. They were legalists in every sense of the word, enforcing the letter of the law and missing the spirit of the law, shaming and punishing those who fell short of its requirements. Later in the gospel, Jesus describes them this way. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. It was a heavy yoke they were laying on people, and they were harsh teachers. But Jesus describes himself, on the other hand, as gentle and humble in heart. His expectations were sensitive to the moment and to the individual. His response to failure was gracious and patient. He looked past people's flaws and frailties and saw their good hearts and their potential. He looked beyond the letter of the law and focused on the spirit of the law. Matthew must have known this would be hard to understand, so he provides us with an example, an illustration, right in the very next passage. In chapter 12, the disciples are passing through a field of grain, and their hunger gets the best of them. Forgetting it's the Sabbath, apparently, they, they end up picking a few heads of grain and popping them in their mouths as they walk along. The Pharisees just happen to be watching and complain to Jesus that his, his disciples were working on the Sabbath. Jesus responds by reminding them that the Sabbath was meant to make life better for people, not harder. It was meant to be a gift, but the Pharisees had turned it into a burden. And Jesus wasn't just a gentle teacher. He was a humble teacher. Uh, unlike the religious leaders who needed to parade their knowledge and lead with their titles, Jesus was willing to stoop down and, and meet people where they were, as they were. Think for a minute about the best teacher you ever had. Someone who believed in you and invested in you someone who is patient and kind and helpful. There's a comfortability with that kind of teacher, isn't there? There's a freedom. You're free to be yourself, to take a risk, to make a mistake, to fail even, knowing you won't be judged or reprimanded or excluded. A teacher like that makes learning fun. And Jesus is that kind of teacher. He offers us that kind of freedom. But there's something else that, about Jesus that, that sets him apart from the religious leaders of the day. Look again at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus isn't the kind of teacher who stands in front of the class and tells us how it's done. He's not the kind of mentor who stands at a distance and critiques us. Jesus actually gets in the traces with us. He shows us how it's done. 
He walks whatever path or furrow is in front of us. So Jesus is offering us a different kind of yoke. A yoke of relationship, not rules. A yoke of partnership, not performance. And that yoke is easy because it's perfectly fitted for us. And Jesus is a different kind of teacher who gets in the harness with us. The burdens are light because he's actually bearing them with us and for us. There's something just beautiful and liberating about this way of understanding life with God. As I processed this passage in my mind this week, I found myself thinking about my brother, Keith. Now, you've heard me talk about him before. A couple years younger than me, retired Jersey cop. Keith and I are completely different. I'm circumspect and restrained. He's brash and spontaneous. I drive a gray Honda. He drives a blue Fiat with the hood down. I come alive at church. He struggles with church. To give you a more vivid example, uh, in recent weeks, we've been in a tussle with the attorney's office as we try to settle our parents' estate. Well, my response to their latest long and convoluted email was, thanks for getting back. Can you help me understand why this is taking so long? Keith's response is along the lines of, this is a load of crap. <laughs> like I said, we're about as different as two brothers of the same mother can be. But you know what? We're both following Jesus and have been for a long time. He follows Jesus very differently than I do. He talks to God differently than I do. He worships differently than I do. He points people to Jesus differently than I do. But Jesus is okay with both of us. And the yoke that Jesus placed on his shoulders in terms of his life's work and calling, including a 20-year battle with Parkinson's, that yoke is completely different from the yoke he's placed on my shoulders. But those yokes have been perfectly fitted to both of us. And with Jesus' help, we've both been able to do some good kingdom work in the world. And day by day, to, to become the men he, he meant us to be. As challenging and different as our lives and work and faith journeys have been, we could both testify that with Jesus, the yoke's been easy and the burden's been light. And the same can be true of your life and your work when you hitch your soul to Jesus. So we've heard the invitation to come to Jesus as we are, bringing whatever weariness or burden we happen to be feeling. And we've considered the paradox that following Jesus is easy even when it's hard. So let's finish with the promise. And I will give you rest, Jesus says. He actually says it a second time. You will find rest for your souls. Now, the interesting thing here is that, that there are two words for rest that Jesus could have used. Cataposis and anaposis. Now, you can see both have the root of our English word, 
pause. Catapausis describes the cessation of labor, a permanent rest. It's often used to describe the rest of those who have died. Anapausis describes a temporary rest, a break. It can even be translated relief. Uh, the point is, when Jesus promises rest, he's not promising a life of inactivity, the absence of labor or engagement or service. What he's promising is rest in the midst of activity, relief in the season of service. What he's promising is that when we take on the yoke of life with God, when we accept the burden of service to others, he'll provide whatever rest and refreshment we need. Sometimes by giving us a break from serving, sometimes by refreshing us while we serve. So here's what I'm getting at on a very practical level. Some of you probably need to take a break from serving this summer. I'm thinking of our Kids Town volunteers, many of whom have been serving our children most every Sunday since September. I'm thinking of some of our small group leaders, uh, many of whom have been taking responsibility for their group all year long. We'd love to give some of those folks a break so they can be refreshed this summer. After Kids Week, that is. But in order for that to happen, some of you will need to step into service this summer. Maybe serving in Kidstown for a week or two or three. Uh, maybe hosting or leading a short-term group for a few weeks. Uh, maybe summer's a perfect time to try out serving on the welcome team or the tech team or helping out at a student ministry event. For some of you, the most restful thing you can do this summer is to step into the harness with Jesus. The best thing you can do for your soul is to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. And the good news is when we serve like that, those of you who'll be serving at Kids Week this summer, those of you heading out on a CCLE, Jesus is going to go with you. You're going to experience life and service with Jesus in ways you can't experience it when you're sitting on the sidelines. He's going to refresh your soul this summer, even as you serve him and others. Because here's the thing. Jesus is good for your soul. Being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, it's the most satisfying and liberating thing you can do for yourself. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about some fun and unexpected ways you can find rest for your soul this summer. But all of them involve being with Jesus because Jesus is good for your soul. And that's what I discovered on those annual trips to paradise in the early years of ministry. On those all-night drives, after listening to some classic rock for a while, I would put on some worship music and sing into the darkness, uh, pop in a sermon tape, and, and, and be inspired by preachers like Chuck Swindoll or Gordon MacDonald. Sometimes I would just ride quietly into the wee hours of the night, just me and Jesus, reflecting on the year, what I learned, what we accomplished, how he met me and us. Those all-night drives were good for my soul. And once we got there, we relaxed and had fun 
We took the kids to the park and the town pool. We played croquet in the backyard, went to the movies and DQ. I read some spy novels, went for some long runs, took walks with Karen. Wasn't that fun and laughter, those connections with people that I love, all of it, that was good for my soul too. So by the time we were heading home, sad as we were to leave, I felt refreshed. I felt ready for whatever the Lord had waiting for us in the year to come. I, I want to say I was ready to take up the yoke again, but the truth is, I never took the yoke off. Jesus was with me through all of it. And Jesus is good for your soul. So as we finish up, let me leave you with the, the, the words of Eugene Peterson, who, who captures well this, these verses in, in his translation called The Message. He says, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation. As we bow our heads for a moment, just take a moment and, and tell Jesus how you're feeling today. Bring him whatever's on your mind and heart, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we come to you just as we are today. Some of us feeling weary and burdened, others feeling energized and hopeful. Meet us where we are today, Lord, and this summer. Refresh our souls as we serve and as we rest. In Jesus' name, amen.